company is not about technology. Company is about the customer experience. And I'm very obsessed with the customer experience. So you really need to change your mindset and you really need to understand how you are becoming the ultimate employer in every single country and every single place that you are working. From GGV, this is Founder Real Talk, where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon. Without further ado, here's today's episode. On today's episode of Founder Real Talk, I'm joined by my colleague, Dan Kahana. Hey, Dan. Hey, Glenn. And we're super excited to welcome Anat Guez to the show. Anat's the co-founder and CEO of Papaya Global, an all-in-one solution that helps globally distributed companies manage people and payroll in over 140 countries. Papaya has raised over $190 million in funding and was most recently valued at $1.2 billion. So she is a unicorn. Prior to founding Papaya, Anat was the CEO of two relocation services companies, one based in Israel and the other based in China. Anat, welcome to Founder Real Talk. Hi, happy to be here. Great. So I thought we would start maybe asking a little bit about your background. Prior to founding Papaya, you spent almost 10 years working in global HR uh, services across both Israel and China. Uh, not, not, a do, not, a, not a typical paired country, uh, set of countries that we talk to entrepreneurs about. What challenges did you see that companies were facing when they were trying to manage people globally? And what, you know, what made you want to start a software company to solve this problem? So I actually started my global career in Africa. So I mean, even less wow. in terms of uh, in terms of experience. Uh, and when I mean, during over those years, I always dealt with global workforce, global mobility, global employment. So it was all around people moving from one place to another. How do you solve the, the complexity that it creates in payroll, in compliance, in understanding culture, in regulation, in immigration, and so on. And Two things always strike me quite, uh, quite amazing, quite a lot. First, that this business is almost 100% run on trust. So you never know who is, who is the, on the other side of the line <laughs> that is actually providing you with the service, but you have a problem. You have a critical problem to the organization. You need a solution. And you, I mean, eventually, choose to trust someone that you don't know with uh, salaries and with uh, people's eventually compliance and labor uh, labor agreements and so on. And that's kind of crazy and amazing when you think about how protective we are in everything that we are doing in the organization, how our recruitment uh, behaves, how we take decisions and so on. Uh, so this was the first thing. The other thing is that eventually this is a relationship that based on an endless frustration regardless which country it is to which country uh, you are relocating, because you never understand, you don't know what you don't know. And I think the best way to describe it is like, you're going to speak um, English to me and I'm going to uh, respond in Hebrew and we'll have this dialogue when nobody understands each other and we are trying uh, trying to guess what each other is, is saying and continue this dialogue. Uh, so those two things were kind of the, the the pain points and the experience that I collected along the ways. And this is also kind of the fundamentals that led uh, to papaya eventually. I, I like that description. Uh, and 
the English to Hebrew, or in my case, uh, English to Chinese. If I'm in China, it's the same thing. When you're in a when you're in a taxi cab, you 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 need a translation layer sometimes between uh, uh, yourself and the driver to try to get to where you're trying to go. Can you um, maybe? Like just to level set for the rest of the episode, tell us like in a nutshell what Papaya does to help manage this problem. Sure. So when we stepped into the domain, we wanted first to create a SaaS platform. We felt that there is zero technology, that eventually you get tons of data that you don't know how to read, you don't understand. Uh, it's a recurring process, so you're going to end up seeing this data and trying to figure this out every single month and it's going to be an endless pain. So Papaya is developing a SaaS platform to develop to, to manage everything that is related to global workforce management. So in, in short, we can say that we are the Salesforce for workforce. Eventually we are developing one platform to accommodate every need in every single country with every type of employee, uh, payroll, EOR, contractors, uh, and the ability to eventually have one layer of aggregation, consolidation, and control, and one workflow to everything that happens in the organization. Um, we have a lot of attention to the employment experience and the employee, obviously, experience. Uh, aside quite a lot of automation in order to assure that we are not just creating an interface, but we are really eliminating time and hours uh, that people spend of just processing payroll on the ongoing process, because this is a stressful process. It's a reoccurring process. And from the other hand, it's the most important process in the organization. And uh, our team at GGV invests quite a lot in Israel and meets a lot of Israeli founders. And generally, we see folks who have you know pretty similar backgrounds. They might spend time in one of a handful of units in the IDF, then work at a tech company and eventually start something of their own. You now, you have a very different background than that. So we'd love to hear a bit about how your sort of less conventional background has informed your approach at Papaya. Yeah, so I started in, in the Air Force, <laughs> less traditional. Uh, I don't really have a tech background um, uh, so when I stepped into Papaya, I think that for me, the kind of the challenge was to understand how do you run a business that you're all, only looking about the growth side, but nobody cares about the profit side of it. Because, you know, beforehand I had, I, 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 uh, I founded two bootstrap companies. It was all about profit and loss. It, it can, it, it need to have a very, very clear correlation. And, I think that the strongest thing that I brought to the table, because my, my two co-founders, they, they are coming with a strong tech background and so on, kind of did the traditional, uh, I would say, route in Israel. Um, when they were busy about defining the product, I constantly asked them, who's going to buy it? How much we are going to price it? How do we know that anyone's going to buy it? I mean, at all. And from the very, very early days, uh, although there are lots of practices saying, oh, don't go and chase clients, this is not good, don't show, don't show uh, revenues, don't show growth in the beginning, uh, and so on. But from my own perspective, this was the basic thing in Papaya. And I mean, along the way, and, and you know, we are uh, already five and a half years uh, currently on the road with the company. But the first two years was very hard for us because nobody really thought that this is a real problem to solve. This is a real market. This is a real business that uh, somebody needs. And I think that the only thing that all, always proved 
differently was the fact that we constantly grew with clients. So, I mean, the growth factors was there. People were pay paying for the product. People were saying that, yeah, we need this, the, this uh, pain to be resolved. And the fact that we took a very hands-on and a very revenue-driven approach from the very early days really helped us on this. Mm. You know, um, many of the founders we talked to start as technologists and build cool technology and then go find, you know, go look for a problem that the technology addresses. Um, you're, you're an industry insider. You, you came, uh, you know, you, 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 as you mentioned, you bootstrapped two companies, um, at least one or both were involved in, in one way or another with the ultimate business that you're in now and, and, and had a lot to do with relocation. So um, you probably had a much uh, stronger understanding of what the customer might need um, and and had customer kind of empathy going into the into the uh, uh, process of building out Papaya Global. What would you say were some of the benefits of being an industry insider or anything that, um, you know, not being a technologist to start a, a software business has helped with um, or maybe maybe slowed you down? Yeah, so I think that the one feedback that we constantly hear, uh, even today, is that when we are demoing the platform, we hear from people on the other side that it really shows and it's very clear to them that the person that is behind this product understands the pain that they have and was kind of going through those pain and journey and trying to solve it all to the maximum level. And and I think that this is really uh, the difference between coming from the inside world uh, and building a product from the pains uh, versus just trying to solve a problem that you think that it's big, has a huge market and so on and kind of maybe trying to replicate the product that you've seen without understanding the bits and the bytes of it. Uh, so everything that we are doing internally in Papaya uh, is really minded about the details in the payroll and some very, very small things that we know that makes the difference for the people uh, that are using the product. And this is the one most important thing. I think that from the other side, and you ask what slowed us down, you know, as uh, somebody that is not uh, building technology, but is kind of uh, looking at it as on the consumer or, or the client side, I always wanted to have it all from very early days. We need this and this and this and this, and we need that and that and that, and this is also a problem and so on. And when you are going and having this discussion with your uh, a product team and obviously with the R&D, they're kind of slowing you down and telling, okay, now choose what's the biggest thing that you need to solve. What's the first thing that we're going to tackle? And for me, that was the challenge because, I mean, I, I didn't want to choose one. I wanted to solve them all, all at once. And this is kind of, I think, of the adaptation that you need to do uh, along the way, understanding that uh, there is a very big difference between running an operational business where you can do a lot of things all together. And on the very early days, you can be quicker. I mean, in response, you can be quicker in the total offering, but it's not scalable. This is the problem. And when you are building technology, you kind of, you need to compromise in the beginning and understand what you are solving. So you're going to be a bit slower in the beginning because the, the service eventually is going to be much more limited. But when you are scaling, eventually uh, you, you can do it on a larger scale. Um, so this was my lesson learned from, I, I would say, switching sides from the operational uh, uh, side and thinking to lead a technology company. And uh, Papaya has now raised, you know, almost $200 million to date with the vast majority of that coming, you know, in 2020. But as you mentioned, you've been at this for more than five years. Um, and the first couple of years, you know, 
weren't quite as smooth. So I'd love to understand a bit about, you know, what foundations you felt like your team laid at the beginning to, you know, position you well for a later inflection point. So it's a great question. I think that the one thing that we always laid in, in the product is the ability to build this product to scale. Uh, when we were looking on Papaya, we knew that eventually at the beginning, we are going to serve a small and medium clients, but we knew that we are building Papaya to serve the Fortune 100 of the world in a very, very short time frame. So everything that we did, it, we, we spend a lot of time kind of the design and understanding how do we solve this problem uh, completely, not just a partially now for the market that we are serving, but really from the ground uh, in order to scale quite quickly. The, the second thing, which I think is very important, company is not about technology. Company is about the customer experience. And I'm very obsessed with the customer experience. I mean, Everybody knows that if a client will send me an email, I mean, WhatsApp me, find me on LinkedIn and tell me, listen, I'm not happy with something. I'm just, I'm going to step in, in, in less than probably 10 minutes since I, I read this message. Because I think that eventually it's a partnership uh, and you'll be forgiven about many things that are not working on the tech side, but the ability to gain the customer trust is forever. And if you're doing it and you really mean it, and for, for me, this is the most important thing, this is how you build a sustainable business and business that will go with you, even if you are, if, if they understand that you're facing some um, hard times and so on. And I think this was always really something that we were aiming to gain. And, um, and it was very candid as well, because we really care about it. So kind of drilling down on this point about uh, that you've made now a few times about the importance of staying focused, but also having a big vision um, and trying to balance those two things. Not always easy. I'm reminded of something we heard from another founder on this show in a recent episode, Guy Pajarni at Sneak said um, for them, what really mattered was having a really big vision and then figuring out a plan to take small steps to get there. How have you thought about balancing this big vision, uh, particularly in the early days, with trying to get a product that really solved needs for customers quickly? You know, the, the, this tension between building like the full solution that's going to solve every problem versus getting something to market that is going to solve one or two particular problems quickly and find a home in a market is a tension that a lot of uh, founders deal with. So curious how you how you tried to balance those two things. Yeah, it, it's a good question because it's really it, it's an endless discussion that you have I internally and then with your partners and then with with the world because you always want to bring more value uh, or you always want to be in a position where the client feels that he gains more from the product. Um, I think that what we did in the beginning and we had this uh, kind of dilemma on the very early days. Uh, we received a very nice approach from uh, Coca-Cola at the time asking us if they can use papaya. You know, we were very excited and so on. And then we were looking on, on I mean, we were very kind of did honest conversation with ourselves and said, okay, I mean, <laughs> there is no way that we are ready to serve the need. I mean, maybe they think that we are ready or that we can do that. And it looks like in, in the vision we are ready, but we are not ready in anything that we currently have. And I think the ability to really say, no to clients 
to keep because there is a difference between the needs uh, that you have when you are small clients uh, kind of on your uh, growth mode and enterprise client and you cannot meet all of those all of those needs but you need to meet the needs of the current uh, market that you are currently targeting so i think that what we were looking is always kind of what the current uh, markets that we are uh, that we are uh, targeting needs and what will be a good uh, experience for them. Even if it's not a perfect experience, what will save time? What will s- reduce some kind of the tense at the friction that they have along the way with their payroll? So we were trying to address specific pains that we knew that even if it's not an ideal or perfect solution, everybody like uh, to save time. Everybody like to, to feel more confident that they did not do mistakes and critical mistakes. So we were always kind of pointing to reduce the tense and pressure of the users as a first step, rather than in the beginning uh, dealing with a kind of nice to have, which are important, like a unification of reportings and those things, because uh, this is where we gain kind of the loyalty of the people. They wanted papaya because they wanted to save time. They wanted to to be less stressful uh, along the way. So... You know, it's almost like if if I'll take it to the real world, I mean, if you feel pain, first you're taking Advil, right? I mean, and then you are going to do some kind of bigger um, checkups to to understand the pain. So it's it's kind of the same. We were trying to understand how we kill and how we, we, we relieve those immediate pains first and then looking on the broader picture. That's super interesting. Um, I think also when we look at the papaya journey, you can see that you know, the market you operate in has just changed dramatically since you started the company. And particularly in the past, you know, 18 months as remote work and globally distributed work has become commonplace. You know, we hear a a common refrain in Silicon Valley that being early can be the same as being wrong. So I'm curious, you know, in your case, um, how do you manage building the company, keeping momentum, attracting employees and investors before sort of these ideas of running a globally distributed workforce or a remote workforce became commonplace? Because I don't think that we uh, necessarily approach the trend, okay? I mean, I think that global workforce and remote workforce was there, I mean, much before COVID. If you're looking on every company or almost every public company or every company that is about 10 years old, you'll, you'll, you'll see that they're operating for more than one location. And I think that the one thing that we constantly pitched is that payroll needs to have the same measure of uh, seriousness in in the organization as you have as you are treating your IT because you need to have a payroll continuity plan for uh, I mean in the organization this is not a nice to have thing this is a must to have thing and it didn't change through covid i think that kind of covid accelerates this Obviously, more and more companies are joining to the remote, I would say, uh, kind of trends on much earlier stage. But I think that, I mean, in in a lot of uh, the things, this is a trend. I mean, you are trying to hire people all over the world and then you'll realize that if you have one person here, one person there, it's actually creating more more mess and uh, it's much harder to, to meet your goals than having one group concentrated in one location. Um, so I don't think that uh, the I'm mean, obviously I mean we are all we were always believer about companies going global and, and being able to work more efficiently being global, but it's not necessarily we are not necessarily addressing to a trend and we are not also trying to address the transactional need of hiring 
a developer in some East, uh, Eastern uh, Europe country. We are trying to build a sustainable relationship and ensure that we are becoming the software that consolidates everything in the organization. So it's kind of a different approach, I think, from the current trends in the market or the new, I would say, uh, players that are uh, being added to the market, on a, uh, I think, almost on, on, a, on a daily basis these days. So, Inat, I assume you're running Papaya Global, the company, on Papaya Global, the product. And that's helped you be a, a, a global organization yourself, right? You were, uh, as a company born in Israel, you have a nexus of people in New York. You're serving customers throughout the world. Um, so very global yourself. And you recently um, did something pretty extraordinary, uh, making a lot of people jealous. You took your team uh, to the Maldives uh, for Papaya's Global Week, quote unquote, Curious, like, why you did that. And, you know, looking back at it, what were you trying to accomplish apart from having some fun on the beach? And whether that's something, you know, getting getting together in person as a company is something you you recommend for companies that are that are highly distributed. And if if you go through the, the cost and expense and time of getting people together, what do you focus on to make sure that those are great experiences? So first, I think it's a must. You must meet the team. You must ensure that people meet each other. I mean, it's not about working for a company remotely. You need to fill the team. You need to spend time with them. Uh, we started the Global Week a year bef before COVID, and we kind of announced that that's going to be a tradition. And then COVID hit, and uh, we also grew very, very quickly. We, we found ourselves uh, starting the year with about 80 people, and uh, by the end of the year, we were uh, already doubling the team. And I felt terrible. I hate, honestly, I, I don't think that you can create meaningful relationship when you see people uh, remotely over video conferences, Zoom teams, whatever it is. Uh, it's not engaging. I mean, you don't really feel that the person is connected with the organization. I think for them also, it's a terrible experience. Um, eventually, they don't really gain, get fr uh, friends in the organization by meeting them on, on conferences. And we had a very stressful year, all of us. I mean, it's been a great year for Papaya, but honestly, it means also that we worked very hard. Uh, nobody was taking some time off. So I, I had, I, I remember then la the, the first time that I told my VPHR that I want to go and proceed with the global week she started telling me look it's not the right time and it's covid and I, then i told her let's do it in the maldives she said okay i'm coming <laughs> and i said okay if this is her first reaction this is good and i think that we gained few things first people really needed this breather they, after this year they we really uh, we don't understand how tense we became uh, how freedom, real, just a real freedom feels like because, you know, they, they, I mean, you're always busy and kind of stress. The one thing that we did this year, uh, because we felt that this kind of unfair to only take the employees, we offered them to bring their family members. So, I mean, it was not a global week only for our employees. It was a global week for the families uh, as well because we felt that Papaya got so strongly this year to their living room and, you know, to their houses and took a lot of bandwidth from the employees while they were home uh, constantly that we owe them this as well. And I felt, I, I think honestly that it was worth every dollar that we spent. It was from one hand, a very complex operation uh, because we brought people from uh, five different locations. 
but from the other hand, I, I just been asked today, when is the next trip to the Maldives? Let's go back. I mean, we really need it. <laughs> I think that the fact that people uh, could really meet their colleague, just spend time, you know, I mean, obviously you are speaking and we did a few, few sessions that are related to work as well. So it was kind of, we were splitting the time between enjoying the Maldives and speaking about vision, speaking about how we can work better and so on. But I think it really, it, it was super important for the team. And I highly recommend people need to meet each other. I mean, I think that if we think that we can just eliminate those interaction, we are going to create organization without soul and without a clear DNA. And it will eventually show in everything that the organization will do. That's amazing. You certainly set the bar very high for basically every other company out there. The problem is that I did it also internally. Now I need to, to beat my, <laughs> bar, my bar, but uh, we're working on it. Yeah. When you look at Papaya today, you know, we see that your customers span from you know, some GGV companies like Kong and other you know, fast-growing startups um, to you know, large corporations like Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, and Toyota. Um, we'd love to hear from you kind of what you've learned working with different customers and different types of companies about how they're adapting their workforce and how they're approaching kind of a more global workforce, given sort of the breadth of the type of companies you work with? Yeah, I, I think there is, th th there are very interesting trends that are currently, we, we start to see. First, organization really think global. So I've been in this industry forever, as I said, even before Papaya. So I was always kind of looking on how organizations are behaving towards their obviously headquarter employees versus their global employees, even if those are very senior position and very important positions. And I think in the last year, you can see a very big difference in the way that organization thinks. For example, equity was something that you rarely saw when you were looking on a organization a year back. I mean, they were not busy in, in uh, granting equity to the global uh, team because, I mean, it was it's a hustle, it, it's a pain, it, it's, it's complex and so on. And uh, they had this uh, kind of a policy that, no, I mean, we, we are not going to execute this globally um, uh, and it is what it is. Same with benefits. So, you know, sometimes we, we saw a lot of organization handing over allowances rather than the benefit itself. But I don't want to receive two hundred dollar for my employer, uh, and and get the the fun stuff of just initiating a medical insurance. I want to assure that somebody is taking care of me because this is the part of being an employee. You want to assure that you have this confidence, you have this umbrella. Somebody is doing those things for you uh, and on your behalf. And actually, I think that you know you, you mentioned Kong and. Three years ago, way before COVID, they told me a sentence that uh, kind of uh, changed a lot of the things that uh, we did internally and shaped things. And they told me, um, you know, our employee can choose to work in any single company of the world. They can go to Amazon, they can go to Google, and they are coming to Kong. We need to be to prove them that we are the employer that they want to work for. And this is really kind of, a, I think, the thing that uh, we keep uh, and, and try to work internally and also work with our clients that for them to understand. The choice of working with someone that uh, has headquartered and, and big offices in your city is always easier. Working for someone remotely, it's always it's a harder choice to, to make. And even if it's a very, very exciting companies, 
you, you have a lot of competition. I mean, if you are talent, you'll have other offers locally. So you really need to change your mindset and you really need to understand how you are becoming the ultimate employer in every single country and every single place that you are working. And I think this changed a lot. And many, many companies, I mean, regardless in any uh, uh, the stage that they are, are uh, very minded to this fact uh, that they need to become this ultimate employer wherever they work in the world. So... You know, a, a lot of our companies, you know, if, if you go out and, and ask our companies like Kong, what's the what's your biggest challenge? Uh, the leaders of those companies and the founders of those companies will invariably say, like, finding great talent and hiring, hiring a great team. And I think that's been a big part of why we've seen just a massive trend in our portfolio. And we know we're not alone towards much more distributed workforces, much more global workforces. You know, it used to be that if you invested in a startup, I'm going to date myself here, but 10, 15 years ago, when you invested in a startup, you went to visit their office and everybody was there. Um, that's just not the case anymore. You know, some some companies in our portfolio have small headquarters, but most of them have, even if they have a small headquarters, they've got people all over the world. And, you know, companies like HashiCorp are on the cutting edge. Um, they've got um, close to 2,000 people, and they're basically fully distributed. We had Shai Bannon from Elastic on the show recently. They're 2,200 people fully distributed around the world. So these are very large groups of people now that are completely virtual. And in your customer base, you see this all the time. You see, you see lots of very globally distributed com- companies. Um, and while there's this benefit of being able to hire great people wherever they are, I know there are also challenges. Um, you mentioned equity, you mentioned benefits. Um, are there other things you'd point out to entrepreneurs and founders that are building global companies and, and you know, highly distributed or totally virtual companies that they should be on the lookout for, like, you know, staying away from certain countries or I don't know, any, any advice you'd give, I think would be super helpful to people. Yes. So I'll start with uh, always with the questions of why. Why do you want to hire a specific talent and why do you want to hire them on a specific country? Because hiring someone on a specific country has lots, lots, lots of consequences. And I think somebody, so, some, sometimes we see people uh, or companies uh, and they don't understand what it means. And it's almost, uh, you know, I mean, pre-COVID, we, were, we, we all kind of uh, were, were traveling around the world and you are doing a lot of preparation before you land up in a, in a country that you, you are not familiar with, right? You, you read posts, you, you understand what you can do, what you can do. Um, but it seems that when you are hiring talent, you think that, okay, I found the talent and that's it. Everything's going to be okay around that. But in reality, I mean... Every country have a very complex, uh, most of world countries have very complex labor laws, uh, have lots of uh, costs that are involved with this. And for example, if somebody is telling me these days that they want to hire in Brazil or in China, I ask them why. Why do you want to hire there? Is there a specific reason you need to go to this market? Otherwise, it's super complex. It's very, very expensive. I mean, you're going to pay uh, 80 cents uh, on for taxes, for employment taxes, for every dollar that you pay for an employee in Brazil. And then when you're going to start try and terminate a, an employee, you're going to realize how complex it is. So if you don't have a specific reason to go to this market and you currently don't have the bandwidth, so, I mean, from my perspective, if the team is still relatively uh, small and every 
a kind of a churn in, in employee will be under your responsibility as a CEO, as a founder, or, I mean, the, the management will need to handle this. Don't go to complex countries. I mean, kind of understand where is the heat map and how complex it is to scale in a country, how expensive it is to scale in a country, and what does it mean to eventually terminate a, an employee in a country. You know, it's, it's like getting married and, uh, and, and not understanding how it is to, to, to get divorced, right? Nobody wants to, to ask it, obviously, but you need to understand what it means because it can happen. And as founders, we always need to think and plan the, the worst case scenario. And kind of having a legal dispute with an employee in the other side of the world where you don't understand the language, you don't understand the regulation can be a very, very painful, costly event. And if there is not a very good reason to go to a specific country, which, I mean, employment uh, regulation and labor laws is complex, don't go there. I have this uh, very uh, uh, nice uh, rule that I teach, and, and this is kind of a trick that I teach companies. I, told, I, I tell them, always look about the empl- uh, on the, the employment costs. So, for example, if you have a company that the gross salary will be $100 and the employment cost will be $110, knows that in, in probably in most cases, termination is easy. If you have a company that gross salary is going to be $100 and then the employment cost is going to be $180, termination is going to be complex because it means that eventually you have a government that is uh, interfering heavily in the employment relationship and th- because this is why they are kind of placing a lot of burdens and taxes and pension and benefits and so on uh, on top of it. So... Have this research. Don't step into a country. Don't commit to anything without understanding the liabilities and the commitment that you are taking because this is a heavy commitment. Don't sign on draft of agreement that that a legal lawyer from your behalf didn't review. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been constantly asked, can you send us an, a, a draft of a template? I said, yeah, I can. But I mean, you know, that's going to be the worst thing that I'm going to do to you because this is a draft that somebody else prepared for his own use and you don't even understand what you are signing. And this is a very, very important relationship and a very important commitment that you are taking to uh, of the, to the company. So uh, there is no shortcuts. I think that employment is the biggest liability that you're gonna have you, you have in the company, uh, and you need to respect this. That's amazing advice, and certainly I'm sure helpful helpful to a lot of founders out there who are thinking about this and haven't probably fully considered the costs. Uh, before we move into the speed round. And we want to ask a bit about a blog post that you wrote around your Series C earlier this year. You wrote a really fantastic post about you know, the challenges you face managing a company in hypergrowth mode while also managing you know, ongoing COVID lockdowns and you know, your third child on the way. I'd love to hear any advice you'd give to other founders about you know, balancing their responsibilities to their families and their companies after such an eventful year. Yes. So I'll share maybe that, uh, as I said, I mean, we, uh, Papaya is uh, almost six years old and my eldest daughter is four and a half years old. I have two years old and I have eight months old. So it's a very busy gang. Uh, and uh, one thing that I always share very openly is the challenges that I had uh, raising funds uh, along the way while being pregnant. And I think that this is always kind of a topic that uh, both sides are taking the wrong approach. Uh, female founders probably taking the wrong, wrong approach, but not, but not by not speaking about it, thinking that, okay, I mean, we should not say anything about it. I mean, 
this is not an issue. And then the investors are taking the road approach, but not asking anything about it because they feel that maybe it's not the right, uh, I mean, I mean, it's not politically correct. Uh, but then you kind of leave this elephant in the room. No one speak about it. And then eventually it, it turns out to be a um, relationship that ends up uh, to a failure. Uh, this is the reality. I think it's very hard to invest uh, when you don't, you have this uncertainty of what's going to happen with this founder or with the CEO uh, after she gave birth. And it's a fair question to ask. And I think it's a fair answer to give. What's your plan? How do you, how, do, how, how does the company prepare to that? I mean, because it's another responsibility to manage. From the other side, I would say that also we are all humans. And sometimes uh, as female, we are trying to kind of uh, create this reality that we can have it all and we can make everything works. Um, this is not a reality. I mean, raising small kids is challenging, requires a lot of time and attention to someone. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be me, but somebody needs, needs to take care of their needs. And you need to assure that if you are starting this journey as a founder and you are taking this huge liability, this is like, I mean, papaya, uh, people are always telling me that papaya is my fourth kid. And I'm saying, no, this is my first kid, actually, because this is the only kid that I cannot have anyone else um, manage. I mean, aside me, I, I don't they, they don't have any. Uh, other responsible parent or any babysitter that can manage the company. So that's always going to be my first kid in terms of priority. And this is kind of understanding that this is not an easy, you have lots of difficult choices and a lot of difficult uh, decisions that you need to, to take. Um, and this is part of it. Well, thank you for being so transparent and open and honest about uh, the, the challenges. Um I think it's it's fantastic that you've put it out there um and you know you yourself have obviously managed it very well um but it it is a big challenge for founders both female and male um with families uh to to manage and so uh you know opening the dialogue has been been really uh great and and thank you for being so uh so open and honest so so we're going to end now with our speed round um just say the first thing that comes to mind. Um, first question for you is, is there any book or, you know, article or anything else that you've read or, or watched that you'd recommend to other founders? Wow. So many. <laughs> wow. I need to think this through because it's constantly changing. I'm a heavy reader and I constantly browsing between tons of things. Uh, lots of podcasts though, recently. I think that this is currently the, the, the one thing that takes mo most of the time. And listen to others. I mean, I mean, there are tons of good things there. I mean, listen to others, uh, learn from others. This is for sure. Okay. Well, hopefully people will say that your episode is one that they uh, will put a high on their list. Um, what advice would you give if you could turn back the clock to a young gay nut? <laughs> Plan the company better so you can have a better balance. I would probably fail, but I would still... <laughs> still give this advice. I think that uh, I'm, I'm a free control. I like to be involved in everything that I'm doing. Uh, but it also means that uh, I kind of, I, I, I wear too many hats in the company still, but from the very early stage. And I think that eventually uh, in some point of time, I should have filled those roles earlier. And I mean, planned the kind of the management team and leadership uh, better than I did. Okay. The last one is 
is the doozy. As someone, uh, you know, given that your business is focused on global expansion, you've probably visited lots of places. What's your favorite country to visit and why? My favorite. Wow. You know, it's COVID now. Now it's the Maldives just because, you know, it's so it, it's a getaway for, from this craziness around the world. Uh, I have a lot of great countries. I'm a very, very big fan of Asia. I mean, uh, Thailand was probably the, the place that I that I visited the most uh, over the years. Uh, I also really like Africa with all of the challenges and so on, because I just think that you 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 kind of appreciate a lot of things that you you have on the day to day life uh, that we are not appreciative enough. Um, but the world is a great place to travel. I have so many places that I need to travel still. Well, you've definitely taken your company to uh, lots of uh, places in the world and are reaching great new heights um, with it every day. Congratulations on all the success you've had with Papaya Global. And we're looking forward to hearing more about your future success going forward. Thanks so much for sharing Inat, your views and your story today. I think it's going to be very helpful for our listeners. And again, we, we are very excited about your future. Thanks so much for sharing some of your past with us. Thank you. Thanks for hosting me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. Our theme song is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage, sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across consumer, social and internet, enterprise cloud, and frontier tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages $6.2 billion in capital across 13 funds. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Didi, Grab, HelloBike, HashiCorp, House, Keep, Namely, New, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, and many more. The firm has offices in Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. Learn more at ggvc.com or follow us on Twitter at, at GGV Capital or GGV Capital on WeChat.